Welcome to Tales of History and Imagination. Eccentric Tales from History by Simone Whitlock. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore. While I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. Tis some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this and nothing more. On October 3rd, 1849, a delirious, dishevelled man appeared at Gunners Hall, Baltimore, in great distress and in need of immediate assistance. Wherever he was, as some content creators have written, found lying in the gutter, or was simply wandering round in a daze outside. It was clear to all he had taken leave of the senses. To the bar's patrons, he appeared fall-down drunk and down on his luck. He was dressed in ill-fitting clothes that, it turns out, did not belong to him. It was a wet, miserable day, with no shortage of patrons at the hall, come tavern, come polling booth. A local election was underway in the fourth ward, and people stopped by all day to cast their vote. At the tavern that day, one Joseph W. Walker, a compositor for the Baltimore Sun. Walker discovered the man went by the name Edgar Allan Poe. Walker had to tell the man he was in Baltimore and asked if he knew anyone in town. Poe gave him the name of one Joseph Snodgrass, a local magazine editor. Joseph Walker rushed off a letter to Snodgrass's house to come over and help his friend as soon as possible. Edgar Allan Poe was admitted to the Washington Medical College, where he lapsed in and out of consciousness till he died four days later. While conscious, he was never truly present and could not explain his state. The closest we even get to a clue, on the night of his death, he screamed out for a Reynolds. To this day, we don't know who Reynolds was. The death of Edgar Allan Poe was mysterious on many levels. For one, we have no idea of his whereabouts for five days leading up to his reappearance. As an author of some note, Poe set off on the lecture circuit on July 29th to raise the funds for a journal of literary criticism he hoped to launch. By September 27th, he was in Richmond, Virginia, where he met with a friend, Dr. John Carter. He had supper with acquaintances on the night of the 27th, before he boarded a riverboat for New York. The riverboat stopped in Baltimore, where Poe disembarked on the 28th. We know nothing of his whereabouts until he showed up at Gunners Hall on October the 3rd. Nor do we know the cause of death. If a coroner's report was ever filed, it has since disappeared. His death certificate lists an interim finding of swelling of the brain. Many theories abound. A heavy drinker, some claim he died of a bad case of the DTs after attempting to go cold turkey. 
Others claim he could have been bitten by a rabid dog, later dying of rabies. A stroke, a brain tumour, heart disease, cholera, meningitis, syphilis, alcohol poisoning from bad rock gut, carbon monoxide poisoning from being too long in a poorly ventilated room with a lantern, mercury poisoning from bad medicine, and murder, either through a beating or through poisoning, have all been suggested. One tantalising possibility is, he may have been kidnapped by a cooping gang. A crew of partisans working for a politician, cooping gangs press gang strangers into voting multiple times. If so, Rockgut is the most likely culprit, as their victims were often kept well drunk while being sent out to vote. But this is, of course, all guesswork. Edgar Allan Poe was buried two days later at Westminster Presbyterian Church, Baltimore. His most famous obituary was a poison pen from his chief literary rival, Rufus Griswold. From 1842, the two men had been engaged in a vicious war of words. Griswold had the last word under the pseudonym Ludwig. Poe was, according to Griswold, an angry loner equal parts madness and melancholy. He mumbled aloud in public and regarded society as composed of villains. Griswold then went on to release a free book collection of Poe's writings, stiffing the widow Poe on the royalties. Now this all colours public perceptions of the man to this day, though if anything it probably aided his bona fides as a major innovator in the genres of detective and horror fiction. Of the many post-mortem occurrences relating to Edgar Allan Poe, one of the more mysterious tales connected to the writer is that of the Poe Toaster. In the early hours of 19th January 1949, a shadowy figure was observed holding a lone vigil at the writer's grave. He was dressed all in black, save a white scarf obscuring his face. A wide-brimmed hat gave him a vibe more Walter B. Gibson's A Shadow than Poe's detective Auguste Dupin. The date seemed portentous. It was both the anniversary of Poe's birth and the centenary of his untimely passing. The man knelt at Poe's grave, carefully laid three red roses on the grave, then poured himself a glass of cognac. Having toasted Poe, the stranger left the remainder of a bottle to Poe's spirit. Quietly, the stranger rose and vanished into the dark, as breath does into the wind. Now, this was not his first clandestine visit to Poe's grave. A Reverend Bruce MacDonald would infer to a reporter the following year that this was an annual occurrence. It was, though, the first time a group of onlookers, leaving the church, after a late-night meeting caught sight of him. In 1950, the Baltimore Sun's James Brady became the first reporter to note the occurrence, stating, The anonymous citizen who creeps in annually to place an empty bottle of excellent label against the tomb of Poe on the anniversary of his death is a jokester, Mr. MacDonald figures. Confusion between birth and death aside, the article made the public aware of the Poe Toaster, leading to a number of spectators waiting for him every year. 
Some spectators have tried to follow him once he'd completed his toast, always finding the Poe toaster too quick for them. Although allegedly there has never been an effort to actually detain or unmask him, especially while carrying out the ritual. The iconography is unusual. For one, we don't know why the toaster left three roses. Poe mentioned roses 18 times in his canon, but none of them in a way that would lend the roses significance. Anyone's best guess, they might represent a rose for Poe, one for his wife Virginia, and the third for his mother-in-law, Maria Clem, who are all buried under the cenotaph. Similarly, no one is sure why cognac. There's no documentary evidence suggesting Poe was fond of the drink, and we're one to take a lead from his tales. Then a glass of the rarer, more expensive Amontillado sherry makes a whole lot more sense. In 1990, Life magazine ran an article on the toaster, with a photograph of him kneeling at the grave. After this article, the number of onlookers grew from a handful to around 150 watchers. On occasion, the toaster would leave a note for onlookers. One year, the note stated, Edgar, I haven't forgotten you. A 1993 note stated, The torch will be passed. This took on new dimensions in 1999, when the toaster left a note stating the original Poe toaster had passed on the year before. His sons had now assumed the mantle. Now this was evident in a few ways. First, the new Poe toaster was not as dapper as his father had been. On one occasion, he even showed up wearing jeans. Equally mysterious is his actions. The new Poe toaster was apt to share his personal opinions on other things. In 2001, the Poe toaster left a note commenting on the Super Bowl. In 2004, he was critical of the French for speaking out over the American invasion of Iraq. On January 18, 2009, a smaller than average crowd watched and waited in anticipation. The year marked 200 years since Edgar Allan Poe's birthday. A dark figure, shrouded by a scarf and a wide-brimmed hat, approached a grave, placed three roses, and then toasted Edgar Allan Poe. No note was left, in spite of this being regular practice by now. As was usually the case, the toaster vanished into the cold winter night like a phantom. 2009 was the last time anyone would see the mysterious Poe toaster. Quote the raven, nevermore. Now this leaves the question, who were the Poe toasters? The honest answer is, unless somebody comes forward on their deathbed, we may never know. The Poe toaster, having done nothing wrong, no one had ever taken it upon themselves to round up all the usual suspects. No one that I'm aware of has ever rounded up the family of any of the authors Poe may have offended. Even Griswold, who unequivocally did Poe dirty. Likewise, I cannot find a single mention of anyone ever chasing up the descendants of known members of cooping gangs. So if not a need to make amends, is someone showing their love, a descendant of one of his friends, a distant relative perhaps, Maybe even somebody related to John Joseph Moran, the physician who treated Poe, and was there to capture his final words. His final words were, Lord help my poor soul, by the way. 
Another possibility was this something to do with the people who had shown the author some love in the decades following his passing. Edgar Allan Poe's reputation at the time of his passing was nothing like it is now. He was one of a number of moderately successful authors of the time, most of whom have simply vanished from the public consciousness. His passing got little fanfare, and he was originally buried in an unmarked grave. His reputation grew a few decades after his passing, as a number of French authors, most notably Charles Baudelaire and Stéphane Malam, found a kindred spirit in the author. Their translations of his works into French found a wider audience throughout Europe, which in turn eventually fed back to the USA. As Edgar Allan Poe's star rose, his resting place took on several upgrades. First a sandstone marker with a number 80 on it, then a marble headstone was made in 1860, but was damaged a few years later. In 1865, a movement was spearheaded by a schoolteacher named Sarah Rice to fund a proper monument. This only raised half the funds needed. The other half came from a donor named George Childs. At this point, in 1874, there clearly was a growing love for the author. The dedication was well attended and featured letters and words from a number of leading authors. Were any of these people responsible for the tradition? Now one thing I haven't mentioned yet is the people we refer to as the faux toasters. When the Poe toaster stopped his ritual, and a local poet and performance artist named David Franks died in 2010, some wondered if he were the Poe toaster. He wrote and staged a musical piece played by tugboat air horns, and once, for art's sake, got naked in a social security office before Xeroxing his entire body. The Potoster Act, if anything, may have been a little mild for him. Now there is no evidence that Franks was the Potoster, and he never suggested it himself. He was just a well-known personality. Sam Papora is the other name often suggested, and he is also unlikely. In 2007, the then 92-year-old claimed to the Baltimore Sun he was the Potoster. In the 1960s, he'd taken on a role as a local historian for the Presbyterian Church. He felt the place was run down and dangerous, with growing numbers of vagrants sleeping in the graveyard overnight. His answer to this was to invent the Potoster in the late 60s. For a start, the very paper he was talking to recorded the first sighting of the character, two decades before Porpora claim. Since 2016, a Potoster has returned. In the wee small hours, he comes a-knocking on Mr. Poe's chamber door, dressed in black, his visage obscured by a scarf and a wide-brimmed hat. He lovingly places three roses downs a glass of cognac in memory of the author. Edgar Allan Poe, no doubt, would remind us to believe nothing you hear, and only one half of what you see. The current Poe toaster is performance art, the man, an actor, paid to perform the role.
Thank you for listening. This has been Tales of History and Imagination. All episodes written and narrated by me, Simone Whitlow. All music, yours truly. Visit the show at historyandimagination.com. You can follow me on social media, links in the show notes, and get access to exclusive bonus content via my Patreon, also in the notes. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a like on your podcatcher of choice. Share the episode, as word of mouth is the best way to help shows like this grow. See you back in two weeks' time for more tales of history and imagination.